All right. We are back in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 17. We're looking at verses 32, amen, through 37. And the word of God reads as follows. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth and he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. As always, may the Lord have a blessing to the reading, hearing, and doing of his, uh, of his word. God is great. A lot of stuff in this scripture here said we are in our Bible Matters uh, series. We are um, back in um, um, talking about these, uh, the lessons that we learn from lions and bears and that we can learn from this scripture text. And what we've been doing is that we've kind of started uh, um, back a um, little bit prior to actually our text, just for context purposes, because there's so much in there. We don't, we never want to rush through the word of God, but we want to get everything that God has uh, for us. Amen. Now, last week, I want to pick up where we, uh, where we were, we ended up talking about uh, children um, in the, um, um, that was on the heels of the context of, uh, in the context of us talking about us being our brother's keeper, okay? Us being responsible, amen, for one another, okay? And that's, 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 just, and, and that's just what it is. We are responsible for um, one another. It is our responsibility, amen, glory to God, to make sure that we are aware of what's going on with our brothers and sisters. This is, this is honorable before the Lord. And we talked a lot about that and we got into some good information ab about that. We explored um, uh, a little bit about Cain and Abel. We talked about that. We talked about hatred. We talked about unforgiveness and we talked about uh, the lack of compassion. These are things that we talked about. Amen. And we learned about all of these different things and the magnitude of those things and why we've got to avoid um, those things. Amen. We've learned about um, quite, quite, quite a bit of these things. We learned about offenses. We talked about that and how Jesus told us, amen, in Matthew 18, um, seven and seven that, you know, offenses are going to come, but we also learned that, um, and as an answer to a lot of people who deal and struggle with letting things go, who struggle with forgiveness because they feel as though if they let it go, if they forgive that the person who's legitimately wronged them, legitimately done, um, them, uh, an injustice or a disservice that that person's going to somehow get away with it. 
Amen. And 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 it's just and part of our nature, that human nature says, now nah, I don't want to be wronged. I don't want to be offended. And I certainly don't want a person who's done those things, who is who is obviously guilty of those things. I don't want them to get off the hook. I don't want them to 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 get away with it. Well, when you look at that and Matthew, starting at Matthew 18 and 7, we learn that this is not the case. God is aware. Woe unto the world because of offenses. And it it for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to the man by whom the offenses come. God was letting us know right then and there. We also gave uh, some other scriptures. We gave you Deuteronomy 32, 35, Romans 12, 19, Hebrews 9, uh, 10 and 30. What do we give those for? Because those scriptures reinforce the truth that those who offend on purpose, who intend to do this, they're not going to get away with it. Now, what about the person that doesn't offend, that doesn't intend? Well, the person that doesn't intend intend to do that, that they 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 had no malicious intent. Amen. Well, that's a person that you know God can will bring to their mind if you or if you were to go to them, amen, and say, hey. And do what you're supposed to do and say, hey, you know what? I was a little offended by that. I, that kind of bothered me. A person who does not intend to offend, okay, is a person that will generally apologize and get it right. In other words, they will work to try to settle the offense. They have no intent of offending, so they don't have an intent. They have no in leaving you in an offended state. But we're talking mainly about the person that's doing wrong. No, they're just doing crookedness and just trying to, and, 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 and 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 aren't and don't seem to be losing any sleep over it. The Bible, the Word of God teaches that no, they're not going to get away with it. So what does that mean? It means that you and I are free to forgive. There are something you, you don't waste your time, don't waste your energy, don't do that. Don't waste your time and energy contemplating and stewing over and and fuming over the offense and the thing. Jesus told you in Matthew eighteen, offense is going to come. So there's no need in getting bent out of shape as if this is the first time and no one, no, 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 no. You're going to deal with that on a variety of levels and at, and, and at different times, you're going to suffer and deal with offense of some kind. But how we deal with offense matters because if we deal with it wrong, it will lead into hatred and it will lead into unforgiveness. It will lead to that root of bitterness. It will lead to that lack of compassion. And when we start getting into that, we started getting into a place where now we are transgressing God's law. Because when we start operating in that hatred and that unforgiveness and all that other kind of stuff, God sees hatred. Amen. And we gave you the scriptures for that. We talked about that in Matthew 5, 21 through 24 and 1 John 3, 15. God, God equates that with murder. Amen. Amen. God have a problem with last time I checked, thou shalt not kill. <laughs> which means thou shalt not murder. God got a problem with it. How much of a problem? Yeah, he got so much of a problem with it that he put a law against it. That's how much of a pro problem he has with it. And when we get to the New Testament, Jesus, who is God, gives us further revelation or further understanding of this concept of murder. And he expands it and says that it's not just in the physical. Amen. But it's when you kill and murder a person in your heart. That's what unforgiveness and hatred does. Everything that you do, you, you, that person is killed off. 
in your heart, in your mind, those bowels of compassion and all that kind of stuff, they are shut. You cut the door to all of that. You're not going to deal with that person. You're done. Well, guess what? That ain't the will of God. And God wants you and I not to walk in that. Amen. And we learned that we also learned that part of what it takes to uh, to to make sure that one another is OK, because remember, David in first Samuel 17 and you look at 17 and 18. Amen. OK, remember, David, David was instructed to bring provisions to his brothers. Remember, he went home to feed his father's sheep. And while he was there, his father, Jesse, told him to instructed him to take these provisions down to his brothers, to his three oldest brothers who were um, who were fighting in, in Saul's army and as well as to the captain of the army to take them provisions. And we talked about how all of the, you know, we talked about all of those over the last couple couple weeks. And one of the things that he was, that he was asked to do, amen, okay, was to take them those things to give those provisions. And so we learned that part of what it means to make sure that one another is okay, looking after our brother and our sister, okay? We also learned, and where we kind of ended, uh, uh, or just about ended last week, was dealing with that it also means that we have a responsibility to work to restore one another when they're overtaken in faults. Amen. When we see people who are offended, when we see people who have gotten hurt. Amen. And Jesus told us offenses come. But the problem with the offenses is that when they come, they do damage, brothers and sisters. They do hurt. And sometimes they hurt people in such ways that they end up walking away or intending to walk away. Well, it is our responsibility as our brother's keeper. Yes, we are. Our brothers and our sisters keeper. We are, we are. It is our responsibility to reach out with the hand of love. It's our responsibility. Look, when some, listen, when, when your brother and sister is offended, You've got to be more of a brother and more of a sister in that moment than at any other time. You have to be a brother and a sister in every way. So much so that you even shrug off unintentional offenses or hurts that you might get that you might heap to yourself or that might be put against you while you're trying to reach out to someone else why because we learned that some people when some people that are hurt they hurt others some people operate in a defensive posture okay before they let the guard down and allow you to actually help them okay now sometimes now that's that particular aspect of it okay but then sometimes our brothers and sisters are just caught up in sin period. Okay. So they're leaving not because they have been offended by someone, but they are leaving because, or they're walking in the wrong direction because they are entertaining or getting involved in the wrong thing. Amen. Amen. Galatians 6, 1 through 2 says, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burden, so 
fulfill and so fulfill the law of Christ. So he says, you, it's your responsibility. You who are spiritual. Now, if you're not in the word, you're not, you're, you're not in touch with God, you're not going to have too much success. You're not going to be able to do that. Why? Because you got to be in tune with the spirit and in line with the spirit in order to walk through the steps, because sometimes it's going to take work to restore somebody. And you need something stronger than yourself, something that's going to push you and propel you through. Well, when you are linked up to the Holy Ghost, the God, God himself is your strength to push through and to persevere and go off, walk all the steps that might be necessary in order to restore a brother or a sister who is caught up in a fault. But the word of God also says that when you restore such a one in the spirit of, of meekness, and we talked about that being humble and, 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 and being small, not, not being all arrogant and all that kind of stuff. But the Bible also says, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. In other words, when a brother or a sister is caught up in a fault. You should not, in order to restore them or in order to bring them back, should God's give mercy and it be you the one that God's going to use to do that. Sometimes it's not you. All, all you're going to do is bring it to a person's attention. Remember, one plants, another waters, but God gives the increase. Well, that is true in every aspect, even in the area of restoring a brother and a sister. You might not be the one that brings that person. You might be the one that God uses to bring enlightenment or light to the person that, hey, you know what? You're walking in the wrong way. Or you might be the person who builds on that foundation. Somebody else has brought it to their attention and God might use you to do the watering. In that case, what would it be? That means you come along and you speak in words or you're living in a certain, you know what I'm saying, according to scripture before this person and it brings what? Conviction. See, the first word brings knowledge. The second word brings conviction. And those things don't always happen at the exact same time. Sometimes a person does not know. And so what happens is, is that the first word or the first um, uh, instance where somebody comes and reaches to that person brings knowledge of what the person has done. But that person might still be in a very arrogant state or in a way in a heart and heart um, posture. Then God sends something or somebody, whatever it may be. And it brings that, and, and, and for lack of a better way, I'll call it that second word, he'll bring that and what he will do is then he'll bring conviction. So now the word that they already receive, receive begins to convict their soul and their heart and their mind. And then hopefully it produces godly sorrow and repentance and that person returns. But now, but so you don't necessarily know what role you're going to be playing when you operate according to the scripture and you undertake restoring a brother or a sister that is overtaken in a fault. Okay. Now, to do this, going back to Galatians 6, 1 through 2, that verse, um, 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 verse number two says, bear you one another's burden and so fulfill the law of Christ. But look at that B portion of verse number one, considering thyself lest thou also be tempted. In other, what does that mean? It means this. When a person is caught up in wrong, you don't have to get wrong in order to get them to start doing right. You don't have to get wrong with them in order to get them. What, for, let me give you an example. Uh, let me give you an extreme example, okay? Extreme example of something like that would be something along the lines of 
if somebody look if 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 you if you got if you if you if you're dealing with somebody who has an alcohol problem they got a problem with it with with sobriety they're drinking and all this kind of stuff and they just they're just i mean it's just getting ridiculous this person is is at the bar and all this other kind of stuff and so on and so forth you ain't got to go to the bar and have a drink with them in order to talk to them about holy things all you getting ready to do is mess your own self up do you hear what i'm saying you don't have to, especially if you yourself were delivered from that. And now you're trying to reach a brother and a sister who is caught in that. You don't go and put yourself back in that same situation in order to pull somebody else out. You know, you had a drinking problem before. Stay out of the bar. Yeah, I know that person is, 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 do, is going the wrong way. You can wait till they come outside. Or better yet, you can deal with them on a different day. You got to consider how you pull people. You don't, you, 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 no, you don't, you don't go and put yourself in a jeopardizing situation. You don't do that. God don't call you to do that. Okay. So, so listen, God, 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 not calling you. <laughs> you're not taking one for the team. God don't, God don't require you to do that. See, God's way is so, is so holy, it's so right, and it's so strong that he can save them and keep you saved all at the same time. He don't need you to go put yourself in jeopardy. The Bible tells us that we are not to tempt the Lord our God. You don't tempt God to take care of you by putting yourself in a compromising situation, even if you call yourself doing it for the sake of reaching somebody else. God don't call you to do that. That's nonsense. And that ain't nothing but the devil trying to convince you and trying to subtly trick you and put you back into a situation where God has already delivered you. You know God's delivered you from cigarettes and anything else or whatever. You don't go around and put yourself in the same situation and so you got to struggle unnecessarily. You don't do that. God has not called you to do that. Brothers and sisters, we must be wise in all things. Wise in all things. And that includes being careful in the situations in how we reach for others. Because the Bible is teaching you is that in what, and you, I hope you understand when the word of God says, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. What he is telling you is this. It's not as simple or as just straightforward as trying to restore a person who is caught up in, in a fault. You must also take precautions that you do not fall into the same temptation. You do not fall into the same fault. This is why, brothers and sisters, we tell you it matters who you hang around with. Birds of a feather flock together, as they say. You got to understand, you listen. You can only take so much exposure to certain things before it begins to rub off on you. You've got to learn to control the atmosphere to the limit or the extent that God makes it available to you. Glory to God. Glory to God. You can't do 
not even the business of restoring a brother and sister carelessly. You can't do it. Got to be careful. Got to be careful. Now, so we learned about all of that. Bottom line is what you do and what you don't do matters. For God, it matters. It matters. What you do and what you don't do, you need to understand it matters because what? That's what's going to last when it's all said and done. And you can look at Matthew 25, 31 through 46. And I invite you to read that in your time. Now, Jesse wanted to know uh, if his sons were okay. And I told you this last week. I said that one of the things that they did was, was that when they would send um, family members and friends to go and check on those who are on the front line, um, those who are battling or those who are involved in the scrimmage or in the war or in the in the battle, whatever it may be. One of the things that did because it was in such close proximity and because a lot of times they were sustained by the families um, of the soldiers there, <clears throat> they would send people to retrieve, not just to bring provisions. And we learned this last week, but they also sent them to retrieve um, um, tokens or um, of the soldiers health or proof of life, basically so to speak. So in other words, take these provisions, but I also want you to bring me back something, bring me a token, a souvenir, something from them, something that you could only really get from them if they are alive and well. Amen. So that's what we call the proof of life, a token, if you will. And that's what David, that's what Jesse wanted David, David to do, to bring back that token. Amen bring back that proof of life. Oftentimes, I gave you an example last week, I'll give it to you and again, that proof of life might have been a lock of hair, okay, they would trim a piece, some of the hair, or it might be a nail or something <clears throat> that belonged to that, that belonged to that brother who, who was out there fighting, who's involved in that battle that served as the proof of life. Why? Because that parent wanted to know that their child was okay. Amen. And last week we talked about something we dealt with. We got into a little bit about parents and we said parents of the faith have to be concerned about the well-being of our children. Amen. Parents got to be concerned. David, Jesse was concerned. He was concerned about it. Not just to bring provisions and all that other kind of stuff, but he wanted proof of life. Amen. And we learned, we talked about something last week. We learned that, that making sure that our, that, that our children are okay. It doesn't, it's not, it, it, it's not, the, it doesn't just mean making sure that they have all the necessities and all of the comforts of life. That's, that's not, that's not all what that means. Okay. It's not, it's, it doesn't mean that, that the totality of it is, is making sure that they have as few struggles as possible. No, Jesus already told you offense is going to come. So you're going to struggle. Your kids gonna struggle. Everybody gonna struggle. There's no way to get away from that. Amen. But that, but so the, but the totality, totality of making sure our children are okay, is not to focus specifically on that. Amen. It's not even and and as and and, and although we want our children to be able to capitalize on many of life's um good and wholesome advantages, whatever those may be, um, that's not the sole focus of parents. No, 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 no. It's not. It is part of it. And so these are, they are things that we do not neglect, okay? We are not to neglect those, to neglect those things, but we need to make sure we understand it's not all about those things. There are some other things as well. We learned that it is God's will, or it's the will of God that parents provide for their children, amen. 
Amen. And we also learned some very heavy things. We learned, guess what? That parents that do not take care of their children, that skip out and don't want to do and, and, and don't want to do this, that, and other, but you call yourself a Christian. Newsflash. We learned this from the combination of looking at 1 Timothy 5 and 8 and Revelation 21, 7 through 8. It ain't possible for you to make it into heaven. You cannot, you cannot put off your responsibility, parent. Listen to me, mom. Listen to me, dad. You can't put off your responsibility. You can't run out on your children talking about you're going to be saved and you going to have, listen, it don't matter. You can get in, you can get in church and turn uh, 89 cartwheels and a triple axle double flip and stick the landing. You still not going to heaven. You got to do what that word says. God is not impressed. God is not impressed. It is our responsibility. And as, and, 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 and parents, we don't get to skip out on that. Children in need. And you just going to let them stay in need. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. You can't, you can't walk in that way. You can't walk in that way. We also talked about we know that things happen and all these sorts of things and 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 all sorts of relationships tear up because they ain't going the way it, it ain't going the way God wanted to go. We're doing things our own way. And so people are in a variety of situations and there and 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 there are a variety of parenting situations. And they are not all ideal. They're not all ideal. But when you commit to doing things God's way, no matter what you are in, no matter how things may have fallen apart, no matter how things may look and so on and so forth. And, and it does look, it does not matter when you commit to doing things God's way and you're going to walk according to that word. God to give you favor in it to overcome the trials and over the difficulties of every type of parenting situation. But you have got to set yourself in a position where you say, I am going to do what I'm supposed to do. And I am going to be my child's parent, not their friend, not their buddy, not all this other kind of stuff, but I am going to be their parent. And I am not going to be absent. I am not going to be incognito. I'm not going to be all off in the bushes somewhere where can't, my kids can't find me when they're going through some of the most difficult times of their life. Do you hear what I'm saying? Regardless of what the living arrangement is. We live in a fallen world and because of sin, things fall apart in all kinds of, of the most ridiculous and extreme ways. And so we have all kinds of parenting situations. But Jesus is God over every situation. And if we commit to him and his way, following the word of God, you guess what God will do? God will take care of your children. Amen. Let's lean in a little bit further on that. See, children, let's, let's talk a little bit about that, are the Bible teaches, I want you to turn to Psalms 127, and I want you to look at verse number three, because somebody who's going to hear this at some point, whatever time of day, wherever they are in the world, going to need to hear this information. If you already know it, you just stick on, you just ride along with it. It's, it's, it'd be good for you to be reminded of it. But the Bible says that children are the heritage of the Lord. And every parent needs to take a step back and pause and focus on that. The word of God says, lo, children are an heritage 
of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Now, number one, now two things are happening here. Number one, he is telling us, and I'll start in reverse. Number one, he's telling us that children, when they are given to you, children are meant to be a blessing. They are, this is what it means. The fruit of the womb is his reward. That is a blessing. A child is a blessing. Do you hear what I'm telling you? Children are a blessing. Now, the timing of children coming may not always be right. Because sometimes it's under the wrong circumstances. But a child in and of themselves, a child is a blessing. The timing might have been inconvenient. The circumstances might have been wrong. And those are things that I have to be squared up with. But the child in and of themselves is a blessing. A child has no input on when they get here. No, they don't. No, they don't. And unfortunate, there are so many parents that are willing to punish a child unjustly because of the timing and the inconvenience that it has brought or the cumbersomeness that it has brought to their life. They can't see the blessing part because they're too busy focused on the inconvenience or how the child's presence has added a degree of encumbrance to them. That's not that child's fault. That is not that child's fault. So one thing that we need to do as parents is that we need to hit reverse on all of that foolishness and start looking at children through the lens that God has set aside for them. The second part is, is that they are a heritage of the Lord. So not only are they a blessing to you, not only are they meant to be a blessing to us, overall, and first and foremost, they belong to God. You are responsible. I am responsible for the stewardship that I give. Now, when the Bible says that they are the heritage, amen, amen, because that's what the Bible says, Psalms 127, amen. Psalms 127 says that they are the heritage of the Lord, amen. And that means something. That's very important. Because it means that <laughs> your children, if they are the heritage of the Lord, you got to understand, they are meant 
to carry on not just your legacy, but they are also meant to carry on God's legacy because they first and foremost belong to him because they first and foremost came from him. Do you hear what I'm saying? Amen, amen, amen. So what does that mean? That means that you and I are not done by simply teaching our children how to operate and negotiate according to the laws and the standards and of, of this world we live in. That ain't it, That's, you're not done. You are not done. They belong to God and they are meant to carry on his legacy. They are meant to carry on his will. They are meant to carry on his way. So that means that guess what? You are not supposed to work to raise worldly children. Mm -mm. No, you are not. You, if you are a child of God, your responsibility is to raise godly children. Do you hear what I'm saying? Amen. God's will is that the children be trained up. Amen. Look at Deuteronomy chapter six. Look at verses uh, four through seven. Word of God says this, hear O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words, which I command thee this day, shall be in thine heart. Many people stop right there, but you got to keep going because you're not done. Yeah, you're supposed to know that God is one. Not 17 different gods, not three different gods. It ain't, no, God is one. Amen. God is one. But you're supposed to know something else. Guess what? Verse number seven. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. Uh-oh. Do, <laughs> do you hear? Did you hear that? I hope you did. Because what God is saying in that, what he's telling you and me right there, is, is that not only are you responsible for knowing God is one, but you're responsible for teaching your children that God is one. You're not supposed to let your children come away being confused that there's all these different kinds of ways and so on and so forth. And, and uh, no, no, no. There is one Lord and you're supposed to be teaching that. Not only that, glory to God, glory to God. Not only that, but he says, and thou shalt teach them diligently to thy children. Not just that, but the words, the commandment. So this is the fear and the admonition. This is the truth of God. You and I are responsible for teaching that to our children. Look at when he said, look, and, and I want you to look at the, the, uh, the, 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 the timing in which the lessons are supposed to go on. I love God. He covers absolutely everything. He says this, verse number seven, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto the children. That means you're not going to slack off. You're not going to let the word of God just go cold in your household. He says, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house. That means when you're in your house, wherever you are in your house. No matter where it is, your house should be a haven for the word of God. My house 
should be a place where the word of God is in great supply. It should not be that the only time people can come in contact with the word of God is when they go to the church, the physical church. Do you not understand that the church is not a building, not a physical building? But the church consists of water baptized, Holy Ghost filled, blood washed believers in Christ Jesus. They are the church. We are the church. Not the building, not the brick and mortar and all that other kind of stuff. No, 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 no. But what's sad is that these places of brick and mortar, the physical church that we know of, we find more word there than you have in your household. And that is a shame before God. Because you spend more time in your own house than you do in the physical house that represents God's house. So how is it that more Bible goes on, more talking of the word goes on in a building outside your house than it does within your house? God has blessed you. With a home, regardless of it's, if whether or not it's the house you want to live in or look the way that you want, God has blessed you with a roof over your house, over your head. You and your children. Many of you, he's blessed with a car to drive and all of these different things. Yet when we have our children in the car, we play more garbage can trash music than we do the word of God. And then when our children begin to act out the stuff that they hear and all, then we confuse. And we don't have a leg to stand on. Because we bopping and listening to it right along with it. Why are no Holy Ghost conversations going on while you're transporting your children to and fro? There ought not be a room in your house that you cannot talk about God with your children. Choose ye this day whom you will serve. Ain't that what the word of God says? We're going to talk about God. We are going to bless the Lord everywhere we go. There ain't going to be no room that we don't talk about God in. When I was coming up, <laughs> we was coming up. Now, my parents, especially my mom, and I know she probably listening to this right now. She loved nice furniture. And she loved to have a room that was just a, a um, that was I mean all the I mean it was it was where the nicest furniture was so not not the stuff for us to be goofing off and all that kind of stuff but this is the this is the room that 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 I mean that mom I mean it was like a project it was it was it was her 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 hobby I would think okay and so we would always have a room for the most part whenever possible when the Lord would bless us um the um the Lord we 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 she had a room and she would 
put her nicest furniture and this would be the one that was that was I mean it was it was just I mean it was kept immaculate she she wasn't she wasn't um she didn't have the wool over, over her eyes my parents didn't have a wool over her eyes she she knew she had kids and kids messed stuff up so so we had all the other house to do all that and we had our other room but we had that one room that was mama's room and that room was not a room that you just went in there and you just started messing up stuff no that's the room that you kept clean we vacuum when we didn't see no dust we were dusting we wasn't no dust all that kind of stuff that's just the way that it was and you understand something that room was that was like a prized possession room and you didn't just go in that room to do nothing but let me tell you what the one exception was the one exception to just be in that room was when we was talking about the lord see there wasn't gonna be not one room that's off limits to god And parents, you are, we have to make, listen, we, children are the heritage of the Lord, and we are responsible for teaching them to praise and worship God. And the word of God says, let everything that have breath praise the Lord. We are to love God. Look at Deuteronomy chapter six, verse five. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. You got to give God everything. The stuff and the areas in my life that might be off limits to everybody else, they are not off limits to God. You cannot teach, fully teach, the way of God in your house if God is not welcome in your house. Your Bible is on the shelf. You won't dust it off. Your prayer closet is ridiculous. You got everything in there. You can't even get in there. And that may be, at many times, a metaphor for, because for, for some people, it's not a physical room. It could be anywhere or a physical particular room. But really, it can be used to, to describe any room where you stop and you pause and you reach for God. Parents, you're supposed to be doing this not just in the home, but in front of the children in the home. Glory to God. Glory to God. We're just making it plain. We are making it plain. Thou shalt talk with them when thou sittest in thy house. You want to sit down and just watch TV. Why don't you turn that off for a while? And crack open that Bible and start talking about the things of God when you're sitting, when you're relaxing, when you're at leisure. That's what that means in your house. Mom and dad, when you're cooking, whatever it is that you're doing, you might be going, invite the children over and have a conversation about God while you're doing that. You got to bring God into everything. You got to invite him in. There's no room 
in that house. No place in that house. That's got, that should be off limits to the word of God. You want God saturating and filling every room in your house. If you don't have the spirit of God moving with free reign in your house, how are you going to be attentive enough when somebody brings in something in your house that don't belong? See, when where God, listen, you need to understand, you got to understand this. God is light. And in him, there is no variance. There's no shadow. There's no darkness. When you fill your home with the light of God, the word of God, if your children should start to go astray or somebody comes in and brings something that is unlike God, it's going to show up. And the wool is not going to be over your eyes. Some people don't understand. Oh, well, how could this happen? Whatever else is. Because God is not welcome in your house. And that's why you don't know what's going on in your house. See, what's not like God will always stand out. So when you begin to walk in the spirit in every single room, including your children's room, let me tell you something. If God blessed you with the ability to put a roof over your head and over your children's head, let me explain something to you. That room that they inhabit is not their room. That is your room. You pay that bill. You are responsible for knowing what goes on in that room. You better make sure that even the word of God goes on even in your children's room. I know I'm going after it because, but because the children are heritage. Listen, they are, they are responsible for carrying on that spiritual legacy. And many of our children are unable to do this because of the parents being out of order. You think you're getting a brownie point because you're bringing in money and, and, and you got them in the best school and all this other kind of stuff. Let me explain something. You might have all of that going on. You may have been able to give them the best clothes and give them the greatest food and all this other kind of stuff. And I don't care how nutrition it is. Let me put it to you. It ain't enough nutrition in physical food that's going to save your soul. You might be giving them children everything that they can imagine they could want in their imagination and under the sun, but you have not given them the one thing that matters. You have not given them the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have not challenged them on their sin and unrighteousness, and you have allowed foolishness to go on in your household. But I'm telling you, God's going to come knocking. God is going to come knocking. He always does. He always does. And he's going to want to know, mom. He's going to want to know, dad. Why is his offspring not praising him? Why does his heritage not know anything about him? How come they don't know how to witness to their children, to, to their childhood friends, and or wherever they go? How do they don't know that? Why? They don't know how to evangelize because you have not first evangelized them. Charity, love starts at home, family. Oh, yes, it does. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Thou shalt talk with them when thou sittest in thy house and when thou walkest by the way. 
That's your life, the way you live. When you lie down, you're at rest there. When you get up, do you see how God got it? No place, no time is off limits for the word of God. And in order to build a healthy household, let me explain something. I want to make this very clear. A healthy household cannot be achieved without the presence of the Lord, his word, his way, his will. You can raise well-mannered children. Oh, yes, you can. Morally outstanding children as far as society is concerned. You can do that. Well-mannered, well-disciplined children. You can do all of that, actually. And you know what? You can actually do that without the scripture. You can do that. But what you have built is not a health. It does not constitute, even though those things in the world's eyes, that's it, that, that looks like that's healthy. But in God's eyes, that's not healthy. That's unhealthy. Well, what is it? Well, is it that? No, it's not that those other things are there. The problem it's unhealthy is because that's the only thing that's there. See, what you have done, whether if, <laughs> what you have done is built a worldly household. And that is unhealthy. You have not built a spiritual household. And when the Bible talks about children being a the heritage of the Lord, what he's trying to tell you is, is that you are responsible for building a spiritual household, not a worldly one. Do, do you hear what I'm telling you? See, a worldly household can be a well-mannered household, but it is a household where the souls of every individual in that household is in jeopardy. What does that mean? That means it's head, they're headed for hell. Why? Because they have not repented of their sin. They have not been washed. They have not been baptized. In the water, they have not been filled with the whole. In other words, they have, their soul is not right with God. That's bottom line. The soul is not right with God. Not right. And we ain't talking about right according to everybody's own interpretation. No, we're talking about right according to what the word of God says. God does not care about what your interpretation of spirituality is. He don't care about that. What he cares about is your adherence to what he said it is. Salvation cannot be achieved by any other means other than by the process and the plan and the way that God laid down. What kind of household are you building? What kind of kingdom are you building? See, when you don't build the household according to what the way the word of God says, this is how the, listen, this is how all of these other things from homosexuality to everything else that you might call lying, everything, it don't matter. Everything that the Bible says that the word of God says that God is not cool with, if you don't bring the word of God in, these things have the potential and increased potential to manifest in your house. And that's why they do. This is not rocket science. This is just plain old, simple, good old fashioned obedience to the word of God.
when you don't, when God is a stranger in your household. Devils will take up residence. Unrighteousness will take up residence. Sin will thrive. We live in a world where this world calls evil good and good evil. Many people don't, they don't even know what, they don't even know what the right thing looks like. Because they have been indoctrinated to believe that the wrong thing is the right thing. And because it's so commonplace, it doesn't even move the, ne the needle on their spiritual radar. When you tune out of the frequency of God, whether you want to or not, you are tuning in to the frequency of the devil. You are tuning in to the frequency of this world. And whatever you bring in, that's what you're going to get out. And it ain't enough to just teach it to the children. You got to demonstrate it. This is not do as I say, but not as I do. Get out of here with that. That don't work. That don't work. That does not work. That doesn't work. You got to live it. Children learn to praise and worship when they see mom and dad praise and worship. They learn to pray when they see mom and dad pray. They learn to, they, listen, they learn all of these things. They learn, how to, they learn how to get along. They learn how to do all these things. When mom and dad demonstrate that, when they enforce that, that's how they learn. They learn to love God by watching you, how you love God. And what they then do is they mimic that. And because they mimic that, they mimic it with a sincerity. And they go after God with that sincerity. And what starts out as a mimic begins to become the genuine article. But they don't know where to start. If mom and dad won't start. Whether or not you want to, you, you agree with it or not, you are training the next generation. You are training those who are going to be your great, either your greatest blessing or they're going to become some of your worst nightmares. What are you doing with the gift that God gave you? It don't matter if you teach them all day long how to count money and how to do all these different things. Right, listen, you have left their soul stranded. And many of you have decided, have, have, have blamed, have said, well, you know what? They, they need to find their own way. That is the devil's lie that they need to find their own way. Uh-uh. God's plan is that the children are shown the way. 
That is a worldly concept that, you know what, I don't want to just, you know, I didn't want to bring them to church. I didn't want to do this. I didn't want to go and I don't want to do it because I figured that they want to find, hold on. Why are you letting the devil lie to you? The only reason why the devil put that in your mind is so because the longer you put off doing it, the more access and the more time he has in order to bring the wrong people, the wrong situation, the wrong message and get your children indoctrinated in foolishness and anti-God so that they hate God instead of loving God. And then you who love God and going after God, but you didn't teach your children to go after God with everything, you know what's going to happen? You're going to make it to heaven, but your children not. Children are a heritage of the Lord. They are your blessing. They're, amen. But they first and foremost belong to him. Their first and foremost duty in all that you train and all that you struck is that they carry on the legacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why God gives us children. That is what it's all about. And if you focus on the world side, the physical side, and you neglect the spiritual side, you will have dysfunctional children in various areas. They may look okay on the outside. And according to world standards, they might even be okay. But their soul is dysfunctional. And they do not have the, the, the foundation on which to stand on their own. I hope you hear it this morning. I hope you're God bless you. We love you. We will continue on with this. I told you we are we're not about running through the word and running through all this kind of stuff. And I know that was a heavy handed lesson, but you need to hear it. No apologies for any of that. You need to hear that. God wants your children to be saved, wants you to be saved. But parents, it starts with you. OK, keep that in mind. God bless you until next week.
that's never long.